All right, here we go. Locked on LSU, your team every day. I'm Matt Moscona. Glad you're with us. ESPN Radio, Baton Rouge, New Orleans, Alexandria is where you can catch me every afternoon. Uh, Cox Sports TV as well uh, for that television simulcast. Glad you're here. I love this podcast. I love the format. I'm so grateful for all the feedback. I like to say this is um, this is AFR. This is my three-hour radio show condensed into about 20 minutes. So if this is how you like to consume media, glad this option is here for you. So uh, Greedy Williams with his first public comments since uh, declaring for the draft and foregoing the bowl game. Uh, we got college football awards show tonight. A couple of Tigers up for awards. Uh, the uh, USA Today database of coaches' staff salary is out. Want to touch on that. Ryan Clark, former LSU Tiger, uh, played under Nick Saban 13 years in the NFL as well. Talked about the possibility of Saban returning to the NFL. I think you'll find this intriguing. We'll, of course, get to your mailbag questions as well, so a lot we'll get to. But uh, tip of the cap, uh, Dan Matthews, good friend of mine, 680 The Fan in Atlanta, also the producer of the Chuck Oliver Show. He caught up with Greedy Williams on Wednesday night in Atlanta at the media availability for the College Football Awards show. And this is the first public comments that Greedy's made since declaring. And I want to play this. This is a one-on-one that Dan did with Greedy. It's about three minutes, but they talk about a lot, including the impact of Greedy not playing in the bowl game against Central Florida, their desire to beat Central Florida. But what you hear first, though, this first cut that you'll hear is something that got a lot of attention. And this was Greedy when he was asked the difference between LSU and Alabama. Uh, just being real, they can score the ball, we can't. So it's, it's up to the team that put the most you know, numbers on the board. Obviously, we fell short with zero points to 29. So, you know, I feel like defense, we played a dominant, but just being real, we just, our offense just couldn't get going. So, you know, that's, that's big in, you know, in um, college football. So. Is that frustrating for you guys as a defense? I mean, do you feel like it's kind of like, hey, we're pulling our end here. Like, where are you guys? Uh, you know, just our offense, you know, just sometimes, you know, they just can't get going. So it'll take a couple stops, you know, to get them going. So just just waiting and waiting. But, you know, obviously the, you know, play calls weren't, you know, getting off right. We was having, oh, you no, know, Mr. Simons on offense that, w- that was told in a Monday meeting. So it was just, you know, offense just, you know, didn't, didn't you know, perform at where they're supposed to be at. But it's not frustrating that the defense, you know, we just know we have to three and out on because if they can't score, you know, it's a tight game. But, you know, obviously we, you know, couldn't stop a majority of the time, and, you know, it was just that. You touched on it, and people know now that you're not going to play in the bowl game, but are you still around your teammates? Are, are you guys talking about how we got to stop this UCF thing? Like, we've got to m- make sure this doesn't continue for another season. You no, know, I, um, I talked to my young guys, you know, that was under me. You know, just, bro, <laughs> it's the same, bro. You better than me. Go out there and show people that you are better than me. Make a name for yourself. You know, don't don't you know let the media you know just try to say you know Greedy Williams not playing. Y'all not gonna win. Y'all gonna win the ball game. I would not make a difference if I'm there or not there. So just you know play it play at that level that I know I seen you play it. You know everything will be fine. That's what I told my young guy. Sorry, maybe I misinterpreted. It sounded like you're you're talking to one guy in particular. Is there one guy you're thinking like, yeah, like, hey? No, I was talking to everybody. You know, just letting them know. You no, know, um, next man up. We got a saying. We don't blink. So if I go down, the next man up. You know. So and um, I I think you know we we um do that very well at the defensive back position. How much are you guys like I mentioned there wanting? Because I'm sure you've heard UCF saying we're the national champs. We're the national champs. I mean, do you guys want to be the program that ends that and make sure that that stops? 
Yeah, we we gonna be the program to end it, um, you know, streak. You know, um, you know, I'll be there supporting my team, you know, LSU, and um, you know, we gonna we gonna watch, you know, the Tigers take them down. I say my project my prediction score is 35-14. Two defensive scores. One final one for me. I, I like that. One final one for me. Um, just uh, how special was this season when everybody us said that you guys would go six and six, seven and five to do what you did? Uh, you know, just like we had a saying, block out the noise. We didn't pay attention to the media, even though you know you read it, but you know don't really pay attention to it. So we just had that saying, block out the noise, and we said we're gonna take it game by game. You know, improve everybody wrong, and that was. You know, one of the steps, one of the goals that we did, you know, we came out, we're 9-3 and three now. Go get that. We're going to be 10-3 and three after the bowl game. It is interesting hearing Greedy talk about some of the offensive issues against Alabama, play calls not coming in, such. Uh, that's obviously the onus that's on LSU to get better. Uh, def- the defense has held up its end of the bargain more often than not uh, in that Alabama game. Uh, but they're absolutely going to have to get the offense going. I think everyone recognizes that. And we'll see if they can do it next year. But Greedy also saying, don't expect any drop-off in the bowl game against Central Florida with the guys that are next. Um, we'll see. We'll start to find out, I guess, on, on New Year's morning. Uh, tonight is the College Football Award Show. Cole Tracy up for the Lou Groza. Greedy Williams up for the Thorpe Award for the best defensive back in college football. I've said it before. I'll go on record again. I think Cole Tracy will win the Groza tonight. Um, and I'm very interested to see what happens with Greedy. I think he has every opportunity to win the Thorpe. I think he had the phenomenal year a season ago. He had the name recognition. Um, He had a a fantastic season this year, even if the stats didn't back it up. But in many instances, it's one of those things where uh, you win an award like this based on the recognition and name recognition that you had. So I would not be surprised to see both Cole Tracy and Greedy Williams win tonight. If they do, LSU would have three national award winners this year. That would be the most in an individual season, in a single season, in LSU history. In 2011, a Tyron Matthew won the Bednarik and Mo Claiborne won the Thorpe. So they had two that year, but this would break uh, would break that record. So we'll pull for those LSU guys tonight. We'll certainly talk about it tomorrow on Locked on LSU. Okay, we'll step aside real quick here. Um, uh, USA Today coaches database on staff pay, assistant staff pay is out. What did we learn with that? Also, Ryan, something we talked about yesterday got a lot of attention. The column at SI about Nick Saban, potentially returning to the NFL and why this is the time to go take the Green Bay Packers job. I asked Ryan Clark that question. He played for Nick at LSU. He played 13 years in the NFL. I thought he had great perspective on the possibility of Nick returning to the NFL. You'll want to hear that. It's next, Locked on LSU, your team every day. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked on College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. We continue Locked on LSU, your team every day. I'm Matt Moscona. Glad you're with us. Um, You'll hear from Ryan Clark here shortly. Uh, Former LSU safety, 13 NFL seasons, played for Nick Saban at LSU on the possibility of Nick returning to the NFL with the Green Bay Packers. 
Uh, USA Today every year releases their coaching salary database. Um, This was the assistant pay database. Dave Aranda, as we know, top paid assistant in college football, $2.5 million. Uh, The rest of the LSU staff, Steve Ensminger, the 42nd highest paid assistant in the country at 800K. Uh, Tommy Robinson, 85th. Uh, James Craig, the offensive line coach, at $485,000. The 150th highest paid assistant. Uh, Jerry Sullivan next at 164. Uh, Corey Raymond, 205th at $410,000. Then Greg McMahon, Bill Bush, Mickey Joseph, and Dennis Johnson. His $210,000 annually is 529th of the 1,300 or so assistants in college football. So, um, all in all, LSU's total staff pay is third in the SEC at $6.47 million. Of course, Dave Aranda chewing up a a bunch of that. But a couple of things that jump off the page. One is that a Texas A&M leads the way at $6.7 million. And there were a lot of of, uh, Florida State fans who throughout the years, whenever there was so much flirtation with Jimbo, continued to say, you know, why would Jimbo leave? And my answer always was, the rumblings I heard was staff pay. Jimbo was tired of having assistants poached because Florida State wouldn't pony up the cash to keep assistance. And this is evidence of it, of the commitment to winning and resources, why Jimbo Fisher is at Texas A&M right now and not Florida State. He's got world-class facilities at A&M, and he's got the highest-paid staff in the country at $6.789 million. And, of course, they paid Jimbo his massive you know, 10-year, $75 million contract. So point is uh, – Things like this matter. The resources that teams invest into programs matter. The one other thing that jumped off the page is surprising is Florida all the way down at ninth in the SEC at $4.8 million. Not that $4.8 million on your staff is anything to sneeze at, but Florida has the resources, and I'm a little surprised to see that they're not higher on that list. We'll see if maybe that changes in year two under Dan Mullen should any staff changes occur. All right, it is uh, Locked on LSU, your team every day. Something we did yesterday that got a ton of attention. Um, We talked about the column at SI about uh, the possibility of Nick Saban returning to the NFL, and it's something that happens all the time, and I understand, and I'm not putting a great percentage chance on it. I think I put it at like 12%. But it was an interesting read about why, of all the opportunities Nick Saban would have had in the past to return to the NFL, why this would be the one returning to the NFL in Green Bay with a transcendent Hall of Fame quarterback um, nearing the end of his career, uh, Saban's legacy in college totally intact, uh, and why it would make sense. And it was interesting. Well, uh, every Wednesday on my radio show, I have the opportunity to talk to Ryan Clark, who uh, spent 13 seasons in the NFL, won a Super Bowl, played for a, a legendary franchise in the Pittsburgh Steelers, um, you know, won a Super Bowl, played for another, uh, lost to the Packers, incidentally, in that other Super Bowl. Um, and, you know, Ryan played for Nick at LSU. And I, uh, I wanted his perspective on the possibility, and of course someone who, who works as an analyst now covering the NFL, who knows the, the NFL so well in, in the landscape now and sort of the fabric of the league. I wanted his perspective on how Nick Saban might be Uh, received or why or why not this would or wouldn't work for Nick if he were to return to the NFL now I thought Ryan Clark had some fascinating comments here you go I don't know if he cares enough about that type of stuff I think he legitimately cares about winning but I do know 
he's a guy who likes to attack challenges. Uh, this Nick Saban is on the total opposite end of the spectrum than the Nick Saban that coached the Miami Dolphins. Even, even that coach wasn't who Nick Saban is now. Uh, Nick Saban's name is transcendent of the game. Not many, not many coaches, players' names get to be bigger than the actual ball. Nick Saban has now done that. You think about Aaron Rodgers, Mike McCarthy, a lot of the rumbles you hear about Aaron Rodgers changing plays, Aaron Rodgers not vibing with the coach. You don't get to act like that with Nick Saban. Nick Saban gets to carry the cachet of a Bill Belichick. And you look at the Bill Belichick, Tom Brady relationship. The reason it's so good is because even though Tom Brady's the greatest quarterback of all time, the most accomplished quarterback as far as wins go of all time, he's not over Bill Belichick. When you talk about that team, Bill Belichick's name still gets said first. And I think that happens if Nick Saban is there. Mm. And if you can do that, if there's a if there's a coach that can kind of wrangle in and become a bigger presence or as big a presence as Aaron Rodgers, I believe it's what you need. And so I think that for the Packers, it would make all the sense in the world. I just don't know how much sense it makes for Nick. Hmm. Would would Nick have the respect of the locker room? 100%. What's, what's interesting to me, and I guess maybe because when he went to Miami, we here mm-hmm. knew him as national championship, mm-hmm. but I guess hearing you say it's like, Damn, probably the rest of the world didn't think of him like that. The now the, everybody Yeah, the, the, the rest of the world, like when you looked at Nick in that sense, what, I mean, Nick probably wasn't even Lincoln Riley. Like really give it thought, mm-hmm. right? Was, you know, Nick, in, in, the, in the football world, and here especially we really knew him, but he wasn't talked, Lincoln Riley's legitimately linked to every coaching opening in the NFL. Yeah. Every time one comes open, Lincoln Riley, Lincoln Riley. Lincoln Riley's like that slam dunk. Nick really wasn't that. Like if you were really into football and you kind of knew, you know, knew the ins and out of it, you understood how great a coach Nick Saban was, but he wasn't really that. Now he's something different, right? You don't even mention mm-hmm. him with Lincoln Riley. Lincoln Riley doesn't even deserve that. Urban Meyer, who, who is a great college coach, coach, changed Utah, changed Florida, changed Ohio State doesn't even get to, he's always this is probably the second best coach of yeah, all time yeah. right right away they say second best because everybody knows that this dude is it yeah. and so there's Bill Belichick and there's Nick Saban and I think those two people can walk into any room any football locker room any football meeting room and immediately demand respect and have enough respect that if you don't respect mm. him he could get rid of you and nobody's going to question that the same way we've seen Bill Belichick and Will Forks and Seymour's and Jamie Collins's and all these people who we thought were very important, Lawyer Malloy's, very important, very um, pivotal in the success of the Patriots, be gone before their time is up because he felt it was the right move, and we don't question it. I think Nick Saban could carry that same type of cachet. Fascinating commentary from a guy I have a lot of respect for, who uh, is a no-nonsense, consummate professional um, to say, yeah, Nick Saban would would step into an NFL locker room and have all of the have all of the the uh, successes and all of the uh, the respect of a Bill Belichick is uh, is eye popping. I wonder if maybe just maybe this would be it. And certainly that's wishful thinking on my behalf and probably everyone else who's ready to watch Nick Saban's time at at Alabama end. But um, We'll see if this might be the offseason that it happens. All right, it is Locked on LSU, your team every day. Final break, we'll wrap up with a mailbag next. 
Wrapping up another edition Locked on LSU, your team every day. Uh, I'm Matt Moscone. You can catch me every week, the afternoon, ESPN Radio, Baton Rouge, New Orleans, Alexandria, and Cox Sports TV. I should mention, if you enjoyed that little snippet of Ryan Clark, uh, you can hear the entire interview, and Ryan did about 30 minutes with us. Uh, however you're listening to this podcast, if you search 104.5 ESPN Baton Rouge, uh, you'll see the, the Ryan Clark interview there from yesterday. Or if you go to 104.5 ESPN.com in our on-demand section, uh, you can hear our, our full interview with Ryan Clark there as well. I should have met, we'll get the mailbag here in a second. I also should have mentioned uh, Cole Tracy, who uh, is up for the Groza tonight, has accepted an invitation to play in the Senior Bowl. So as of right now, Cole Tracy, Foster Moreau, a couple of former Tigers, will play in uh, in Mobile in the Senior Bowl in the sort of preeminent postseason collegiate bowl game uh, for draft prospects. So it's a great opportunity for Cole Tracy to go to, to Mobile to kick for scouts. And man, what a what a whirlwind year it's been for Cole Tracy from a year ago being at um, at Assumption College in Division Two, now a a Groza finalist and uh, an All American and uh, you know, kicking in the Senior Bowl and having a chance potentially to live a to live an NFL dream. So, congrats to Cole Tracy. He and Foster Morrow. So far, the uh, the Tigers who've uh, committed to playing in the Senior Bowl. All right, um, we'll get to our, your mailback questions. Let me remind you about Sling TV. Sling TV, a proud sponsor here of the Locked On Podcast Network, uh, Locked On LSU. If you want to get your free seven day trial, if you've heard me talk about Sling TV, or maybe you've heard friends talk about it, pretty much just ask. I mean. So many people are cutting the cord now, and they're looking for the, the best opportunity to consume all of their media. A Sling TV, sling.com slash locked on. That's how you can get your free seven-day trial. S-L-I-N-G dot com slash locked on. Free seven-day trial. Remember, 30 bucks a month, no long-term contracts, cancel any time. Uh, if you're tired of paying for channels you don't watch, don't do it anymore. Sling TV, sling.com slash locked on for your free seven-day trial. Okay, let's get to your mailbag questions. A couple of good ones that I wanted to get to here as we wrap up. Uh, Tono Anderson on Twitter, at Anderson Tono. Uh, what do you think the chances Aranda leaves LSU this offseason? And if he does leave, would that signal a bad 2019 for LSU? Installing a new D coupled with awful offense, we know we have. Um, I don't think Dave Aranda is leaving this offseason. And in part because of what we just talked about in the last segment with the staff pay, as a matter of fact, I think it was Dan Walken who had a great piece at USA Today um, about about how the staff pay, the increased assistant salaries, have essentially given stability to coaches who would have jumped for head coaching jobs otherwise. Um, You know, when... And, you know, the the sort of long story short is, you know, if you're Dave Aranda, let's say you're a coordinator making $500,000, but if you're a head coach, you can make $1.8 million. Well, there's no, there's no reason you don't jump. Well, as a coordinator now where you're making $2.5 million, why jump at any job? You have the opportunity now to be far more selective. So, for example, the one job open this offseason that some people would have mentioned Dave Aranda as a possibility so far would have been Utah State. He has a history there. He was defensive coordinator at Utah State before he went to Wisconsin. It would get him out west, closer to home. But, you know, Matt Wells made 900 k last year at Utah State. Even if they bumped that, Dave Aranda would still be taking a pay cut. Why, if you're Dave Aranda, would you take a million-dollar-a-year pay cut to go be a head coach at Utah State just to be a head coach? 
why not be selective and wait for that right head coaching opportunity? Like when Kirby Smart got the opportunity at Georgia, and he's making $5 million a year. I think Dave Aranda could do something similar. Eventually, that marquee Power 5 job is going to come open where they say, that's our guy. Like Jeremy Pruitt got the Tennessee gig. Um, somebody is going, to, is going to point Dave Aranda and say, that's our guy. We're going to pay you four and a half, five million million, $5 million a year to, to run our program. And when that opportunity comes, I think Dave will jump on it. I just don't think that opportunity is going to come this year, more likely next offseason. But with Dave, it's one of those things also, you strike while the iron is hot, and his name has uh, rarely been hotter than it is now. So, uh, But I don't think that he's just so eager to be a head coach that he would jump at something like, like Utah State. So I, I think Dave Aranda will be back next year. Uh, one more. This is from Justin Credible at Gravy Sauce Cream. He said, we LSU fans expect championship caliber from football, baseball, and gymnastics every single year. Why do we never demand the same from sports like soccer, tennis, and volleyball? Um, because people don't watch, flatly. Um, and people don't demand championship expectations from gymnastics. They've just become accustomed to it, and they're enjoying the ride. I'd say it's similar with women's basketball. When, when they went to five straight Final Fours, people were going to the PMAC and they were enjoying it. But as that program has fallen off, there isn't this, this outcry. Uh, ultimately, for the programs that have built and sustained championship expectations, football will always have that. Baseball's had that for more than 30 years now, since first going to, to Omaha in 1986. Um, that expectation will be there for those programs, but it's only because they've had sustained success and the expectation will be there. Quite honestly, um, you know, Joe Oliva has, has invested resources into the, the non-revenue sports and it was one of the things he talked about when he got the job, I remember. And look, LSU's done it. They've, they've built a gymnastics facility. Uh, they built indoor tennis courts. Um, they built Tiger Park, obviously, for softball. Um, they've... They've invested. LSU has invested in its non-revenue sports, and um, and and they're attempting to win in, in every sport. But as far as fan interest, of course, the fan interest is going to be in the in the more mainstream sports, and that's just always going to be the case. Um, and I just I don't expect that to change. All right, it is locked on LSU, your team every day. Glad to have you with us. I will knock. Uh, we'll uh, wrap up today's episode as I ask every day. However, you're consuming this, man. If you're a uh, if you're walking the dog, if you're riding the bike, some of you tell me you, you listen while you're at the gym or maybe you're driving around you know, on delivery route or whatever it is, or if you're traveling, we appreciate you for listening to the podcast. The way you can help us, if you found this on Twitter, retweet it. If you found this on Facebook, share it. Um, if you're on iTunes, like it. Uh, rate us on iTunes. Leave a comment. All of that helps, and please, please, please tell a friend and help us spread the word that we're here. Locked on LSU, your team every day. We'll talk to you tomorrow.